Father, I thank you for the truth of the fact that he who the Son has set free is free indeed. And God, you have set me free. You have set me free from the bondage of sin. And because I have set, been set free from the bondage of sin, I have been set free from fear. God, I praise your name for that. God, I know that there's still a lot of work to do in my life. I know that there are so many times in my life where I turn away from you and I turn towards self. And I praise your name for the fact that you continue to draw me back towards you. And so many times, Lord, I know that that's painful. I know that it's difficult. And I know that it's a struggle. And I know that it hurts. But Lord, I'm thankful for those times. I'm thankful for what you do and how you draw me back to you. God, as we look at your word and we look at what your word has to say to us, and as you do surgery through your word on our hearts, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray, God, that we just repent and we turn towards you. God, as painful as it may be and as difficult as it may be to acknowledge where we are, God, I pray that we truthfully and honestly look at where we are, God, and evaluate ourselves. God, so that we might be able to draw ourselves, to, to allow you to draw us back to you and allow ourselves to, to repent and come back to you, Lord, and confess our sins. God, and be honest. Be honest about where we are. Lord, we need you. Help us to see, it, see how desperately we need you today. God, we thank you for the fact that we are children of God, that if we have confessed our sins, if we have believed in you, if we have repented of our sins and turned towards you and turned away from ourselves, that we are indeed children of God. And I pray, Lord, if there's somebody here who is not a born-again child of God, that, Lord, they would repent and they would turn towards you today. And, God, that you would rescue them from death into life and that you would receive glory from that life. God, I pray that you would just move and stir in this place right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we've been in the book of Nehemiah uh, for the past several weeks, and we'll be there again today. Uh, we were in chapter 8 last week. We've gotten past the point where Nehemiah and the Israelites are rebuilding the wall. And, you know, the whole story so far to this point was about uh, rebuilding the wall and the fact that it represented the fact that the children of Israel had rebelled against God and they were doing their own thing and, and uh, they, had gotten, they had gotten booted out of Israel. They, they were, the, the homeland, they, they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians and, and it was about their disobedience and, and the fact that the walls in Jerusalem were torn down was, a, was representative, of, uh, representative of the fact that they had been disobedient to God. And that's what it, it, that's what it showed. And, and Nehemiah, if you remember back in chapter 1, the reason Nehemiah was so broken is not because the stinking walls are torn down. That's not that big of a deal. It's the fact that it represented that the people of God had been disobedient to God, that they had disobeyed God, that they had gotten away from God. And Nehemiah cried for days as a result of what it represented, not the fact that there was a bunch of rubble. That was not the big deal. You know, it was just what it said about the people of Israel. So he goes back, and they rebuild the walls, and things are pretty good, but God still has a work to do in the people's life. And God still has a work to do in our life, right? If you think that you finally arrived in your relationship with God, that you've got it all figured out, and that, that things are good, and, and that, and man, you're, you're, you're right where you need to be, then let me tell you something. You're dead wrong. You're dead wrong. If you think that you've got it all figured out, let me tell you something, man. Your eyes are closed. You've got the blinders on. 
you're, you're not paying attention to you're, you're you're not paying attention to where you really are. That, that's just the way that it is. You're not you're not being honest with yourself, or you don't even know who God is. One of the two things is true. I know that that's that's hard to hear, but it's it's really true. In Nehemiah chapter eight, this is what we see. So they're they're doing well. You know, the wall's been rebuilt, and they're doing great. And they say, they finally say, well, what do we need to do now? Okay, well, Ezra, bring out the book. So they, they bring out the book of the law, and they start reading from it. And the people stand in reverence to, to God's word, and they're, they're in awe of God's word, and they're, they're, they're blown away by it. And then they, then they start weeping, and they're, they're just upset by it. And, and the leaders, I tell them, just hang on, man. It, this is good news. This is not just bad stuff. I know that it's breaking you, but there's good news here. And and then they figure out that the festival of shelters is something they were supposed to be doing. So you know what they do once they read this, once they figure out the festival of the shelters is what they're supposed to be doing, you know what they do? They start getting some leaves together. They go get some palm branches and they start camping out because they figure out that this is what the Word of God says and we're supposed to be doing it, but we hadn't been doing it in a while, so this is what we should do. So they just do it. They didn't form a committee. They didn't take a vote. They just did it. They said, this is what God's word said. Let's just do that. Now, it's unfortunate today that there's a lot of churches not just doing what God's word says. You know why? You know why? It's because it's kind of hard there's some stuff in there that's just like, it's kind of difficult and, and it requires some effort. See, I, I think that the American church in particular, the modern American church kind of drives me stinking nuts, if you want to be honest. Because it is kind of cowered down to the American culture, the modern American culture, which is we're pretty stinking lazy around here. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but we kind of have this entitlement attitude, which is that, that you know, that, that everybody's supposed to take care of us, and, and I, I'm entitled to this, and I'm entitled to that, and I don't really have to earn anything. It's, it's just give me this, give me that. And we don't really think that we should have to work hard or, you know, whatever. It's just like we're entitled to it. And it, it kind of drives me crazy because the church feels like that it kind of has to go along with that. And, and, and I, I think that the church has gotten to the point where they want to do less and less. I don't want to be that kind of church. I won't be the pastor of that kind of church. I'll go and I'll meet in a parking lot somewhere and I'll just have three or four people where we actually do some stuff. Because I won't be a part of a group of people that don't want to do anything. God's word tells us to do something. Let's just go do it. We don't have to form a committee. We don't have to take a vote. Let's just do it. Amen. Will it be hard? Yes, it will be hard. Will it require some effort? Yes, it will require some effort. Will you be tired? Yes, you will be tired. Will you want to give up at some point in time? Yes, you will want to give up at some point in time. Is that an excuse for you not to do it? No, it's not. Is that an excuse for you to say, well, I don't want to be a part of a church like that? No. Why? Why do we have this idea in our minds that we're not supposed to do anything hard? 
I don't get it. Why is lazy become acceptable? Especially in the context of the church. We call ourselves Christians, right? Christian, that means Christ-like. Christ-like. To be like Christ. Did Christ do anything hard? Did Jesus work hard? Everything he did was hard, man. He didn't do anything easy. He didn't know what he was going to eat. He didn't know where he was going to lay down at night. He had friends that all they did was turn their backs on him. He had 12 guys that he thought was close to him. One of them hated him. He did hard stuff. And we think that it's supposed to be easy. I don't get it. I'm so sick and tired of people saying that, that it's, it's, or thinking that it's supposed to be easy. And, and we think, man, all I got to do is come to church on Sundays. If I come to church for an hour and a half on Sundays, Jesus has got to be like, man, you rock. You are the stuff, man. You, out of the whole week, you know what you did? An hour and a half. You gave me an hour and a half. Man, you killed it this week. You are the man. I cannot believe how sacrificial your heart is. An hour and a half out of the whole week, you gave that to me? You're the stuff, man. That must have been hard to get up like, and be there for an 11 o'clock service. You did that for me? Wow. And we're going to get in front of him one day and be like, look what I did, man. I, got up, I was there at 11 o'clock. Aren't you proud, Jesus? Look at me. Some of us can't even do that. So it's a struggle like once a month, you know? I'm like, yeah. I'm so sick and tired of the, this, this concept of it, it. Like, that's it. That's what you got to do, man. If you, you just show up, man, Sunday mornings. You, 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 that's it. That's all it takes. No, no, that ain't, that ain't what being a Christian is all about. If you think that's what being a Christian is all about, then you're not a Christian. You're wrong. You're wrong. Here we see in Nehemiah chapter 9, we see this guy's doing some hard stuff and they do some hard stuff because it's required, because that's what this, this book talks about. And it talks about this, this, there's a constant theme that's in this book, and you might have seen it before. It's called Confessing Sin and Repenting of Sin. You may have heard of it before. It's very, very prevalent in this book that we read all the time. And you know what? There's a lot of people that don't do it. And in the American church, you see a lot of pastors, elders, and deacons, and leadership that don't do it too. And, and there, th this is what drives me nuts, okay? I, I have seen this in a number of churches, that you will see pastors and deacons and elders, leadership, that won't go down to an altar and pray. That's stupid, Okay? That's just outright stupid. Because there are times 
when the word of God so challenges your heart, where you need to go down and get on your face before God and repent of your sin, confess your sin before God and say, God, I am so overwhelmed by the truth of your word that I can't do anything but weep before you and say, God, I need you. I need you to restore me because there's nothing good inside of me. And I have been to so many stinking churches where you, you'll, never, you'll never see one of the leadership go down to an altar and pray. And I'm like, that's just stupid. That didn't even make good sense. And, 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 and you'll, see, you'll see people do it too. You'll see, you'll see people, I'm not just talking about pastors and deacons and elders. You'll see, you'll see congregation, you'll see people in the congregation, well, they'll come to church service for years and never go down to an altar and pray. Because they're too worried about people looking at them or what they'll think about them or too worried about that? Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Nehemiah chapter 9, we're just going to read what it says. I'm not going to dig into it too much. We just need to look at what God's word says. We need to look at what the people of Israel did at this particular point in time after they brought out the word. See, they started out in Nehemiah chapter 8 where they just they, they saw some stuff they needed to do, so they just did it. Festival shelters is covered in the last part of Nehemiah chapter 8. And then we see in chapter 9, they, they just come back and start confessing sin. Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says this on October 31st. Remember that they came back on October the 9th for the festival shelter. So you got a few weeks later, they, they're coming back for the purpose of repenting of sin. It says, it says, I mean, like in the header right there, you can see the people confess their sin. So... If you got that written down in your Bible, it says the people, so they come back for the purpose of confessing their sins. So I, I believe what happened here is they started reading the word of God and it started dealing with them. Started challenging them. It didn't go away from them. It didn't just go in one ear and out the other. They, they felt the need to come back a few weeks later and they just needed to confess sin. They needed to deal with it. It was, it was dwelling in their heart in such a way they, they had to confess it. They had to deal with it. They couldn't, they couldn't just let it sit there. It says, on October 31st, the people assembled again. At this time, they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. They were in a state of mourning. They were broken like somebody had died. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all the foreigners as so they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours. Stood up for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord, their God, was read aloud to them. Then for three more hours, this, this is how serious it was to them. For three hours, they stood there, listened to the word of God. Then for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord, their God. And we think an hour and a half, man. And I have to, I, I, I have to stand for like 10 minutes while we do worship. They listened to the word for an hour, for, for, for three hours, and then for three more hours, they worshiped and confessed their sins. And then he gives a list of some Levites that are there, and they're participating, and they're praying this. And this is what they pray, beginning of verse 5. It says, this is, listen to how they prayed. I want you to think about them praying this. And I, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about this, but I just want to kind of read this to you in its entirety so you can kind of listen to it and listen to what they're saying and listen to how they're, they're talking to God. 
says, may your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserved them all. And the angels in heaven worship you. You are the Lord God whom you chose Abram and brought him from Ur, the Chaldeans, and renamed him Abraham. When you proved himself faithful, you made him a covenant with him to give him and his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezurites, Jebusites, Gerasites, and you have done what you have promised, you, for you are always true to your word. You saw the misery of your ancestors in Egypt, and you heard their cries beside the Red Sea. You displayed miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, his officials, and all the people, and all of his people, for you knew how arrogantly they were treat, treating our ancestors. You have a glorious reputation that has never been forgotten. You divided the sea for your peoples so they could walk through on dry land. Then you hurled their, their enemies into the depths of the sea. They sank like stones beneath your, the mighty waters. You led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night so that they could find their way. You came down at Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them the regulations and instructions that were just and decrees and commands that were good. And you instructed them concerning the Holy Sabbath. And you commanded them through, your, through Moses, your servant, to obey your commands and decrees and, and instructions. You gave them bread from heaven when they were hungry and water from the rock when they were thirsty. You commanded them to go and take possession of the land you had sworn to give them. So over and over again, what you see here is, is you see who God is, right? You see the provision of God over and over again. You know what should drive us to repentance? You know what should drive us to confess our sins before God? It should be the provision of God in our lives, how God continues to be there for us, all the things that God has provided for us. You think over and over and over again, all the things, the fact that God has given us the very breath in our lungs. The fact that when we're hungry, he gives us food. The fact that when we're thirsty, he gives us something to drink. You see, our problem is, especially in this culture, is that we think that we provide those things. We think it's because of, of my job that I work hard at, that's the reason I've got those things. But who gave you that job? And you say, well, well, I got that job because, because I work hard. I, I've got the ability to work hard because, because I, I got, I got a, a body that's physically able to work hard. Who gave you that body so that you're able to work hard? Was it you? Did you make that body so that you can work hard? Was that you that did that? Can, can you go and you make your body again? See, we don't... We don't we, don't, we fail to recognize the provision of God and the fact that God's the one that provided it. We have this, this selfish desire to, to think in our minds that we have somehow done it. And that's where we get off course. You see, what, what the first place they started here was acknowledging who God is and what he has done. Over and over again, they talked about, look, God chose Abraham to have a covenant with him. To say, I'm going to be your God and you be my people and I'm going to provide for you a land. And we'll take care of you. And when, and when those, those people had rebelled against God and they were taken out into Egypt and we saw how the Egyptians had treated them poorly and, and what had happened there and, and the fact that they were, they were brought out and when the Egyptians had chased them and they were on the banks of the Red Sea crying out to God and God let them walk through on dry land and all of those things and God provided for them time and time again. And he was pointing out who God was. We fail to acknowledge who God is. We don't confess sin enough because we don't know who God is. 
We don't stop and, and, and take time in our day to acknowledge who God is and, the, and what he has provided in our life. And the fact that he has provided instructions for us. Not, not instructions to, to oppress us and keep us down, but instructions for life. So we might have life and have it more abundantly. And we fail to acknowledge that. So, well, God doesn't really know the way I should live my life. I know how to live my life. God doesn't really know. He's trying to keep things from me. He's got this secret out here that, that he's trying to keep things from me. So I'm going to do things my way instead of God's way, and I'm going to be able to find the truth. Same thing happened in the Garden of Eden, right? Same thing happened there. And now we're all suffering as a result of it. You and I would have done the same thing. You can blame Adam and Eve all day long, but you and I would have done the same thing. That's exactly what we see here. But our ancestors, verse 16, but our ancestors were proud and stubborn, just like all of us, and paid no attention to your commands. They refused to obey. It did not remember the miracles that you had done for them. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back to their slavery in Egypt. But you were a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry and rich in, in unfailing love. You did not abandon them. Even when they made an idol shaped like a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. They committed terrible blasphemies. But, you, but in your great mercy, you did not abandon them to die in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud is still led before them uh, forward by day. And the pillar of fire still showed them through the night. You sent your good spirit to instruct them. You did not stop giving them manna from heaven or water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness and, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Then you helped our ancestors conquer kingdoms and nations and place your people in every corner of the land. They took over the land of the king of Shinan of Hezbon and the, the land of King Oz of Bashan. You made their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and brought them uh, into the land that you had promised to their ancestors. They went in and took the possession of the land. You subdued the whole nations before them, even the Canaanites who inhabited the land were powerless. Your people could deal with these nations and their kings as they pleased. Your ancestors captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took over houses full of good things and with cisterns already dug and vineyards and olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate until they were full and grew fat and enjoyed themselves in all your blessings. It goes on and on and on and on and on to acknowledge, acknowledge who God is. And how we had provided and what they were deserving of. See, I think that there's some things that we miss sometimes when we go to confess our sins before God is what we deserve. He said, he said they deserve to be left out in the wilderness. So they made idols. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back into slavery. They desired to go back into their old ways. But you never left them. They deserve to be hungry. They deserve to be thirsty. But you were right there providing for them. They deserve to, to be lost. But you still provided a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Isn't that the faithfulness of God? Even in spite of our willing, our, our, our obvious disobedience to God. Him giving us, laying out this, this perfect path for us. 
and, and us choosing another way, him still being there. And him saying, I'm still going to provide for you. I'm still going to put breath in your lungs. I'm still going to give you life. Allowing us to keep our jobs even when we have been so disobedient to God and we don't deserve it. I'm still allowing us to, to have our cars and our families and our health and all those things. And, and, and we, we fail to even acknowledge that, that God is still being gracious and merciful to us, even when we don't deserve it. And these Levites that they're praying, that's what they're pointing out. That our ancestors, they, they deserved such wrath. But they got such mercy. But, despite all this, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who warned them uh, to return to you. And they committed terrible blasphemies. They, you handed them over to their enemies who, who made them suffer. But in their time of trouble, they cried to you. And you heard them from heaven. In your great mercy, you sent them liberators. You rescued them from their enemies. But as soon as they were at peace, you, your people again committed evil in your sight. Once more, you let, you let their enemies conquer them. Yet whenever your people turn and cry to you for help, you, you listen once more from heaven. In your wonderful mercy, you rescued them many times. You, you, war, you warned them to return to your law, but they became proud and obstinate and disobeyed your commands. They did not follow your regulations by which people will find life if only they obey. They stubbornly turned their backs on you and refused to listen. In your love, you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit who warned them through the prophets, but still they wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the peoples of the land to conquer them. But in your great mercy, you did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. And now our God, the great and mighty awesome and awesome God who keeps this covenant of unfailing love, do not let the hardships we have suffered seem insignificant to you. Great trouble has come upon us and upon our kings and leadership, leaders and priests and prophets and ancestors, all of your people. From the days when the kings of Assyria first triumphed over us until now. Even time you punished, every time you punished us, you were being just. We have sinned greatly and, and you gave us only what we deserved. Our kings, leaders, priests, and ancestors did not obey the law, your law or listen to your warnings or your commands or laws. Even while they, were, they had their own kingdom, they did not serve you. Though you, you showered them with goodness, you showered your goodness on them, they gave, you gave them a, a large, fertile land, but they refused to turn from their wickedness. So now, today, we are slaves in our land of plenty, and you gave them our ancestors for their enjoyment. We are, we are slaves in, our, in this good land. The, the lush produce of this land piles up in the, in the hands of kings who have set, set over us because of our sins. They have power over us in our lifestyle. We serve, we serve them at their pleasure, and we, and we are in great misery. The people responded in view of this. We were making a solemn promise and putting in writing. On this sealed document are the names and leaders, the Levites and priests. So this is what happens in God's word. This is what you see in the picture of the Old Testament, and this is what you see in the picture of Nehemiah. Okay? This, this is what it looks like, all right? And, and we see people being close to God. And, and okay, he's our God, right? And we're close to him, and we're connected to him, we're listening to him, following his laws, following his decrees, is what they like to call it, following his commands, and we're close to God, connected with God. And then what, what happens is that we start to get away from that. 
The Israelites do this all the time. And they're like, what's wrong with you? Wake up. Why, why are you doing this, man? Don't, why are you going to start serving these other gods? Why are you going to get away from the one true God? Why are you going to start serving another God? It doesn't make any sense. Now, we do this, right? This, the, the other God that we serve is called self, okay? So I want you to picture this. Self is over here. God is over here, right? So, so, so we, we, start, we start doing exactly what the Israelites do. We go... They, they go, okay, we're going we're to get away from God, and we're going to go over here, and we're going to start worshiping this other God. We call it self. We do this, right? We start worshiping self. And then what happens? Tragedy, devastation. God allows something to come into our lives that, that rocks us and turns us upside down. A child to die, sickness, illness, um, some sort of something that, that just absolutely turns our world upside down, and we go, okay, God, I need you, I need you, I need you, and I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to get close to you, I'm going to obey you, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to focus on you, and I'm going to get really close to you, right? And, and, and you do that for a little while, right? And, and you stay connected to God. Yes, Lord, I'm going to pray to you, and I'm going to read your word, and I'm going to stay focused on you for a little while, and I do that, and I get, you get really close to God, and things start getting back to normal, right? And the Israelites would do this too, Right? And they would stay connected to God for a little while. And then what would happen? Things would start to lighten up a little bit. The, the weight of the world would stop crashing in around them. And they'd, they'd go back to, to worshiping other gods now. And we do this, right? We start to go, well, things are going good right now. Who are we going to give the credit to? We don't give it to God. We start giving it to self. Things are going good right now. I must be doing a good job. Isn't that what we say? I must be doing a really good job. So then we start worshiping self again. And then what happens? Stuff gets all screwed up, and we're like, why is things going bad? I don't understand. Because we're relying on self and not relying on God, right? Isn't that what happens? And then we wonder. We get over here, and we're all in, in contained in ourselves, and, and our, our pride's starting to well up, and how good things are going, and, and I, I can't believe how, how wonderful it all is, and, and all of that, and, and what happens? Things start to go haywire again. We go, why is that? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't pray as much as I used to. I'm not as connected to God as I used to be. And, and yeah, I'm not reading his word as I used to be. But, but uh, you know, things just seem to be all messed up right now. Why is that? And God's allowing the enemy to come in and take us into captivity. Do whatever it takes. So that why? What, for what purpose? To what purpose? So that we'll come back over here to God and say, you are my God. You are the great and merciful God, the one that takes care of me, that sustains me, the one that feeds me, the one that gives me something to drink. You, you, you are that God. You're that God. And we see this throughout the Old Testament, and, and yet we don't see it in our own lives. You, you ever wonder that? Why, why, why do we see it all through the Old Testament? We see this picture over and over again. I mean, you can read the Old Testament, and you're like, I don't understand. Why do they not see it? And I think the same thing about the church. I'm like, why do we not see it? We wonder. We wonder, um, why is my life all screwed up? Why am, I not, why, am I not, why am I not connected with God? Why, why is everything falling apart? Why do I not have joy? Why do I not have, 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 have like contentment in my life? And it's because we've gotten away from God. We've gotten towards self. And the closer we get towards self, the more disconnected we get from God the more out of sorts things become. And then God has to let us come in, let, let the enemy come in, let us be taken into exile. Why? So that we'll be drawn back over to him and we'll cry out to him. We'll be, on, we'll be out on the banks of the Red Sea and God, rescue me. Whatever it takes, God, I need you. Whatever it takes. 
See, confession of sin, recognizing who you are, is not an easy thing. As a matter of fact, it's a very difficult thing. Repentance is a very difficult thing. So the interesting part about it is this, is that, is that when you're way over here in, in, in this whole selfishness circle that we tend to get in, that's when it's more difficult to do the confession thing, the confessing of sin. Because this is where pride is most prevalent. This is where pride is the largest, is in this circle over here. Pride is not big over here in this circle close to God. It's way over here on this side. This is where pride wells up. And this is why you see a lot of people that can't come to an altar and pray about the fact that they're in this selfish circle over here is because they're too worried about what other people are going to think. They're too worried about what's the person next to me going to think if I go down to that altar and pray. You know what I think? I always, I always look around and go, how does that person not come and ever pray? Do they not know Jesus? Do they not read God's word and go, man, that breaks me in two? Do they not look at the word of God and say, look how far I am from God? Look how merciful and gracious God has been to me. Look how much I need God every single day of my life. But as we stand in this circle of selfishness, pride is the largest thing. Pride wells up. Separates us from God. Separates us from God. Repentance is this thing that runs through and through in the Bible. You see, here's the truth. You want to know something about this church and every single person in this church? We are all messed up. Every single one of us is messed up. And we all desperately need the saving grace that is offered through Jesus Christ. And we all desperately need to come and ask for the forgiveness of the Father. And we all have sin in our life that separates us from God. And we all need to confess that before God. Why? For the purpose of tearing down that selfish, prideful wall so that we can come back towards God to tell him how desperately we need him. That's the reason. It's about staying connected. It's about staying connected. But yet, we got this idea that all I got to do to stay connected to God come for an hour and a half on Sunday and that's it I challenge you it ain't that easy Jesus he never dealt with the external he always dealt with the internal and if Jesus was standing here today you know he would tell you he'd ask you how's your heart how's your heart I'm not speaking, I have no authority whatsoever. But Jesus Christ has all the authority of heaven and earth, and he would say, how's your heart? Let me pray. Father, we're all messed up, and we all need you. So we're just going to come and pray and ask you to forgive us. We're going to repent of our sins. 
and ask you to draw us back to you. God, we know that your way is the right way. And God, we've rebelled against you over and over again. Not on accident, but willingly, purposely disobeyed you. And God, we need your forgiveness, and we need to be close to you. God, we're going to do our best to repent of our sins, confess them before you, and be close to you. God, crush our pride. Crush our selfishness. God, do whatever it takes to draw us close to you. God, we want to bring you glory with our lives. And Lord, the only way we can do that is by confessing our sin. The message of repentance is one that penetrates this word through and through. So Lord, may we do the hard things of this word. May we be people that confess our sins before you. May you use that to revive your people and restore them. And you receive glory from that. God, this is your time. May you receive glory now in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone stand.